All right, I hit record this time and I am recording. All right, for those of you that may listen to this, thankfully, we learned that I didn't hit the button and you missed my whole introduction, so I'll put some of the flare in it. All right, so Hosea 9. Read 8 and 9. Yeah, you need to read Hosea 8 and 9, which was a lot of what I said, and talked about how we're in the diaspora and how these two chapters speak to the fact that we are a continuation of being in the diaspora because chapter 9 ends with among the nations, and we're still there, and how we should be unsatisfied with this, and how in the end that God is going to be working in his people to have a dissatisfaction to be in. We're still in the exile. And so that's kind of what these chapters are about, and that's how I want to present this. So we're going to be looking at Hosea 9, 1 through 5. The title of the message is Unsettled. And uh, the points I'm going to have, number one, is backdrop to unsettled. Three, what do we do? All right, so... Now, uh, the backdrop. This was probably written, uh, at least according to Ryrie, sometime around 710, um, which, which is significant because um, I think Samaria fell around 722, uh, or, or I have it backwards. Anyway, I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but, oh yeah, I'm going to read this note here from um, Bible Knowledge Commentary. Uh, and it'll set a little bit of the backdrop and the time frame of, of where we are. All right, so they said, The events in the reigns of the kings mentioned in 1-1 are recorded in 2 Chronicles 26-32. Hosea began his ministry near the end of a period of military success and prosperity for both Israel and Judah. During the first half of the 8th century, Assyrian influence in the West had declined allowing the kingdoms of Jeroboam II and Uzziah to flourish. However, the situation soon changed. As foreseen by Hosea, the Assyrians under Tiglath-Pileser III revived their expansionist policy in the west. In 733 to 732 BC, the northern kingdom was made a puppet state within the Assyrian Empire. After plotting revolt, Israel was defeated in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, and Israel's people were deported. Also, Judah was incorporated as a vassal state into the Assyrian Empire during Hosea's time. So that's a time frame. I mean, things are, are winding down for the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, for, for Israel and for Judah. And so that's a little bit of, of, of where we are, and we find out that uh, after plotting revolt, Israel was defeated in 722 B.C. So this is right around the time in which um, uh, Hosea is, is, is writing. And so it, he lists out these kings here in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of... And then you have Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And so... You know, the reigns, like, I was going to go through and give all the time frames for it. It's, it's not necessary, I don't think, to do. But his, his preaching time covers a pretty big expanse, and he's seen a lot, and, and he's experienced a lot. And because he's a prophet of God, he knows where things are headed, and God has sent him to uh, proclaim this message of, hey, guys, get your act together. Things are going to be happening here that aren't very good, and you need to get squared away for it. Um, I had another good note that kind of gives a little bit of the flavor of the background. 
And this was from that guy I've mentioned before, Peter Pett. I still cannot figure out who this guy is. Trying to figure out who he is is pretty uh, daunting. Um, so he says in relation to kind of the background of where we are, he says, now he, he uses yod he vav he, so, and I'll read it that way. He says, we should note how deeply yod he vav he felt the wickedness of the people. They were, quote, grossly wicked, Hosea 9.15, Hosea 10.15, quote, guilty, Hosea 10.2, exceedingly sinful, Hosea 10.8.9, wayward, Hosea 10.9, iniquitous, Hosea 10.10, wicked, Hosea 10.13, grossly deceitful, Hosea 10.13. And this has been emphasized by the examples drawn from the past, the sin of Baal Peor, Hosea 9.10, the sin of Gibeah, Hosea 10.9, evil at Gilgal, Hosea 9.15, the sin of Bethel, that is the calves of Jeroboam I. All that was bad in the past could also be laid at their door. I just love that. So there's all these, these descriptive terms that are used into relation how bad they are and how, how bad they have been in the past. But then Pet says, all that was bad in the past could also be laid at their door. And I say, it's, it's true of us. We who are living in the exile, are, we're just creating our own way of life, doing our own thing, rather than trying to get back to what God says and to recognize what is exceedingly sinful in our lives and, and wayward and what is iniquity and what is uh, uh, wicked and grossly deceitful. All these terms that if we would start to examine our lives a little bit, we'd see that in, in many ways we're, we're, we're kind of just like our forefathers. And we're still doing the same things. And the sins that they did could be laid at our door right now. And until we can connect with what Hosea was writing for that generation, before they were sent in exile, we need to realize we need to pull out of so that our Savior will come. So, um, you know, that's a little bit of, a, of the backdrop. You know, the, anyway, without beating that to death. Now, so the condition of the people, and we'll look at this in a little bit later, but it, it says here, um, verse 2 of 1 1, uh, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said unto Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms. We're going to look at that a little bit, but this, there's several sexually explicit words, could I say, that God uses to describe the unfaithfulness of his people. And hence, we have the, the illustration of Gomar, uh, Gomar, Go, uh, Hosea and Gomer. And interestingly, she's not mentioned anymore after chapter 3, but that whole scenario is used as a graphic illustration to show how spiritually evil and wicked God's people had become in their false idolatry and, and paganism and all that went with that even to the fact of illegitimate children being born during these pagan sexual orgy rituals that they were getting themselves involved in, like at Baal Peor. All right, so, um, so that's a little bit of the backdrop. Um, uh, just basically, come on, guys. It's time. I'm setting, told, you know, setting a trumpet to the mouth here. You need to get together. All right, now. I hope that wasn't too unsettled. I feel a little unsettled myself since I messed up with the taping. All right, so 
That's the first point, the backdrop. The second, and this is a bulk of where I want to go. So the unsettled state of the people of God, that's chapter 9, you can go back there. The unsettled state of the people of God, they're just a mess. They are just a mess. And as a consequence of their mess, since they won't listen and haven't listened to the prophets that have come, God says, I'm going to send you out among the Gentiles. If you think that's what you want, great, I'm done. Go for it. You can have it. And as I said, and it wasn't taped earlier, you know, it's a, it's a type of thing where when you have something, you don't appreciate it as much as you do until it's gone. And I mentioned how that lady, when I resigned to church, came up to me weeping, saying how, you know, she just took me for granted and, and wished how she, she, she didn't realize what she had until now that she knows she's losing it. And so God is saying, you know what? You're spitting on my sacrifices. You're spitting on my festivals. You're spitting on my temple. You're spitting on my word. And you're shoving it all in my face. See you later. Go for it. And we have been reaping that consequence to the to today. To today. And, and it's because, like Pet said, the, the, the same essence of what... They were guilty of in the first place. It's still laid at our doors today because we're still eating and drinking and having a great time in the diaspora and cruising away during Sukkot. You know, it's just, just I, this, and that's where I'm going with this. We, we are just still a mess. We've just dressed it up differently. We're not going to, to the altars of Baal and having sex with the prostitutes and sacrificing our illegitimate, Ill, illegitimate children to the pagan gods. No. We're not that bad. Hey, let's go hop on a cruise boat for Sukkot, huh? And have a good time. No, that's not what Hosea is saying. He says in chapter 9, verse 1, Don't you dare rejoice, Israel, for joy as other people. For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God. Thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. You're a disaster. How dare you rejoice? It's not a time for having a good time. Judgment is coming. In our case, it's not a time to be having a good time. Yeshua's coming. I mean, the world is just a disaster. And so much prophecy has been filled since Israel's been back in the land. And we have to stop being unsettled. We need to know what to believe and live it, I guess. Now, what's interesting, I found what was interesting. Oh, I gotta get my notes back out. Um, based on verse one here, hold on, I gotta, I'm not that good at flipping on my iPad. All right, so possibly, because if you if 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 you read this just in the context, I don't want to do it again. Possibly this that is happening in chapter 9 takes place, several people said, during the Feast of Tabernacles, which I found interesting because it, it just, if you read it again, you know, and I, I don't want, I can't, I don't, I don't have the wherewithal right now to take us through that so you can see it, but just I'll read a couple notes that maybe will help us with that. So, uh, once again, Peter Pett said, um, Hosea warns Israel not to be so full of joy at their harvest feast at the Feast of Tabernacles because they needed to recognize that by their adulterous behavior they had made God angry. So what they did was they, they got carnival cruising and had a good time. 
No, even this, under, this saved Christian guy sees it better than we do. So he said, their behavior, they made God angry. Such ideas, he goes on to say, such ideas of joy were seen as being typical of Jewish feasts, which, which is a good thing, which were in the main joyous occasions. But they were not propitious when their behavior was lacking. The people's behavior was lacking. He's saying, listen, guys, no more cruises. I mean, to put it in modern parlance, no more getting together and kumbaya and having a great time and feeling the warm fuzzies. No! Don't you dare rejoice for joy as other people. Right? And I've been saying this stuff for a while and felt like a total idiot, but now when I see stuff like this, because I tend to be the guy that just... If there's happiness or gloom, I'm going to see the gloom side. You know, if the glass is half empty, I'm your guy. You know, and so I have to be careful with this. But I'm reading too much that says, hey, when destruction is coming and the exile is coming, don't you be happy about it? Yeshua's coming, times are bad, and you're still as bad as they were before. Don't just be happy all the time. We need to flip this around and look at the true state of our condition. Oh, gosh. If, if, here's the thing. If we could get all our, our even our big Messianic people together and, and throw us in there and, and had a screen that, that played the last month of our life of what we thought, of what we imagined, of what we said, that's what it's going to take really to break us. But God's not going to do that. We have to play the, the replay of our life to ourselves. That's what Hosea is saying. Guys, stop it. Get rid of the facade. Roll the film. Be honest with who and what you are. Acknowledge it and repent, right? I mean, just us in this room here, except for a few individuals that pretty much are holy all the time, you put our thoughts up on the screen, we'd be embarrassed to death, the things we thought, the things we imagined, the words we'd said. Ah! Right? Am I, am I not right? Yep. We need to be unsettled. Uh, the NIV talked about this thing being during Tabernacle 2. It says, this verse begins a section probably spoken at a harvest festival such as the Feast of Tabernacles. I just found that interesting, and I never would have thought of it that way. But if you connect it with a feast that has a lot of meaning to it, and, and we've turned into this wonderful, happy-go-lucky time, he's saying, hey, guys, no. <laughs> time to set the trumpet to the mouth. The Syria's coming. Wake up. So when we look at this, we see under this first point three things. First off, and I've kind of hit this, the people are supposed to be unhappy. God's saying, I need you to be unhappy. And it comes out with the command, rejoice not. The reason, you people are just whoring from your God. Now, I know those that are listening to this, I'm going to make a lot of people mad because I'm sure those who may end up listening to this, you're going to, you're going to see yourself, you're going to think you're pretty good. What? You mean I'm, I'm back in the Messianic movement? I'm keeping the festivals. I'm challenging us all to look at our heart. 
I'm, I'm almost saying we're, we haven't changed a whole lot other than instead of donning Christmas and Easter, we put on a kippah, a prayer shawl, tzitzits, phylactery, pray, wrote prayers, and keep feasts and festivals. But I'm not so sure that a whole lot internally has changed. You know, I mean, really, am I, am I just talking to myself? I, 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 and that's why I said at the beginning, I love coming to the Word of God. I need to come to the Word of God because it smacks me in the face. It's the only place. It's the only thing that God uses to just rip apart the inside, show you what you are so you can be disgusted with it, even at your best, outside of Yeshua, so that you can allow God through His Word and the work in the Holy Spirit to make you more like Yeshua, to be conformed to His image. And so God sends, out of desperation, Hosea, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Zechariah, Malachi, <laughs> to say, I'm ripping it back, guys. Take a good look. You need to see this. All right, so I want us to see where all these references are for whoring, this, this particular word. There's, there's other words that are used that are just... So powerful, but they're descriptive of all of us. All right, so uh, let's see if I can do So uh, chapter 1, verse 2, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed a great whoredom departing from his Lord. Oh, is, there, is God trying to say something here? <laughs> He's repeated it three times in one verse. Chapter 2, verse 2. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Verse 4, and I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. I've already alluded to that. Verse 5 uses the word harlot, but it's the same word for whoredoms. Uh, chapter 6, verse 10. <laughs> The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound, therefore... Oh, that's five, sorry, I'm not six. Six, ten. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. And the last time this particular word is used is in chapter 9, where we are, in verse 1. So God is trying to get them to see that they have created spiritual adultery. And, and they've gotten so bad... They don't really see it. They don't see it. So the people are supposed to be unhappy. But, and I've already said this, but, speaking to us, um, and, I, and I have another note here for, for 91, but, but yet, in the diaspora, we're constantly endeavoring to be happy. While we're here, in essence, we're saying, we might as well make the best of it. Or should we? I don't know. Given where we are, I think, in a time frame of prophetic history, based upon all these Christian guys who are good, solid guys, and, and the general atmosphere against Christianity and the Messianic movement, God's people, is something is up. Something that the, the problem is Christians say, Woohoo, we're going to be out of here. Good thing we're not going to face any of this. Jesus is coming. Rapture's going to happen. We're going to be snatched away. 
no big deal. That's a, such a big stinking lie of Satan. And that's why God's people are fat, dumb, and happy. Woohoo! We're not going to see this. We're going to be out of here. I've heard all of these guys say that. Jesus could come at any moment. He could have come back at Paul's time. But yet, at the same hand, we know Jesus is coming because Israel's back in the land. Look at all these prophecies that have been fulfilled. You can't have up both sides. You can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. And so, we're going to, you know, we're, we're out of here. Don't worry about it. You know, you know, or the Messianics, oh, thank God we're back. You know, we're, we're just doing it all so right now. So let's just, because we know God's really smiling on us, because we know how right we are. We, we, we say the word Torah and, and Yeshua. You know, let's just continue on now. Instead of going into Easter Christmas thing, we will do the, the cruise and, and all this other. And it's such a sham. It's just such a sham. You know, we're no different than the, the pastors who say, come with me to an Israel tour. Well, sure, they get to go for free because they get so many people, they get to go for free. I, I'm not so sure, but I wonder if that's how it is with the Messianic leaders. I mean, they're... they're anyway, I got to stop. I got to stop. All right, so it talks about uh, on the corn floors here. Thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. And so the NIV had a good note. It says, since the threshing floor at threshing time was a man's world, the threshers, it's, now this is like a parenthesis, the threshers stayed there all night to protect the grain uh, and feasted at the end of the day's labor. So let me start again. Since the threshing floor at threshing time was a man's world, and everything I just said, prostitutes were not uncommon visitors. And hence, probably some of the stigma that could have been attached with Ruth showing up when she did. What this is saying is, this is, this is that what I was saying, you know, oh, the, 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 the uh, reindeer's flying through the sky at night, Christmas. All right, you have loved a reward upon every corn floor. Well, what's that talking about? Well, according to NIV, it's like, woo, whoopee time. Come on, girls. It's a man's world. The prostitutes come in at night, and, and it just becomes a time of debauchery. When? At the end of the harvest? You talk about thumbing your nose at God. But because God is loving and long-suffering, it's kind of like the child. Gee, Dad didn't notice that one. I wonder if I can get away with it or something else the next time, third time, fourth time, sixth time. Oh, Dad doesn't even know. Then all of a sudden, yeah, Dad has been knowing. He's just been building up enough to hang you. And then Dad comes and just clobbers you. Well, that's what's happening here. So the people are supposed to be unhappy. Number two, the people are actually unclean. Verse three, they, uh, they shall not dwell in the, in, in the Lord's land, um, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. Verse four, we just want one word when we get to it. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted. So this, this goes to where I, with what I was saying. The people are supposed to be unhappy because they're recognizing that they are unclean. 
They're polluted. And this is why guys like Hosea were just hated. Because everybody was just living the exact opposite and believing everything's okay and presenting a good facade and having religiosity and a little bit of godliness thrown in there. But Hosea, God through Hosea says, man, you guys are unclean and are polluted. It's just like the baby over there that poops in the diaper. She is now unclean, polluted. But that's exactly how God sees it. You don't see the poop in the diaper, but it's there. Maybe not in this case, but it's there. So... I had another great note about this idea of being unclean and polluted. The NIV says, I had the 10th anniversary edition, so I don't know what it's saying now by way of notes, but it had good notes. It says about this, this verse 3 here, uh, they shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things. It says a foreign country was unclean. This was so good. Luke, you probably already know this stuff, but a foreign country was unclean. Now, you have to think about this. Think about us now in the diaspora. This is what I want us to see, okay? We who are saved, we are the true Israel. We are Israelites, right? But we're not living in the land. And even if we were, there's, there's no priesthood, there's no temple. It, it's, it's, it's all a disaster. So they said a foreign country was unclean. What grew there in that foreign country, which they're going to be exiled to, what grew there was likewise unclean because it was the product of fertility credited to pagan gods. And I think that's pretty interesting. You go to Assyria, you go to Egypt, whatever system you're in, whatever country you're in, I mean, our agriculture is, is, is really an offering to the fertility gods. Really, in our country, we, we don't thank God anymore for the bounty of our country like we used to. It, it's, there's, there's no God, so therefore it's all our man's effort, and so therefore we, we rejoice over our own efforts, and that's where our country is, and it's a dangerous spot to be in. Uh, NIV said, had, again, a, a note about the bread of mourners. It builds on what I just read. Unclean, the, the bread of mourners. Unclean, like bread in a house where there had been a death. All who touched it became ceremonially unclean. So they're living in a land where the land is unclean, and, and, and partly because it, it, it's really the first fruits were supposed to be brought into the temple so God could sanctify it or bless it or approve it or everything, and that made everything acceptable. Well, living out in the diaspora, we can't, we wave our, our things and make, woohoo, we're waving our things here. That's good. And we're happy because. When is that we wave these, we wave stuff? First fruit shot. You know, we're so pleased with ourselves because, yes, we're doing, no. It's, it's not meaningless, but it's supposed to have been done in Jerusalem, right? At the temple. That's where the significance comes from. But you guys don't want to do that anymore. You guys aren't doing that anymore. You want to live out there. You want to be like them. Go for it. You're going to eat food that is unclean, and you're going to be unclean, just like bread of mourners where somebody died, and now it's all become ceremonially unclean. Right? Is, yeah. Am I right on this? Yep. Yeah. So another note. Uh, but, but you have to, I want you to see this. 
verse, verse 4, the, the second part. Uh, Neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as a bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted. For the this is so good. For their bread, for their soul shall not come in to the house of the Lord. That's what I'm saying. Not in the foreign land, it's not going to be able to. You can't bring it and present it to God. And. And it's bread for the soul. It's not just physical. There's this aspect of you're not just bringing this to God so that you can chow down your harvest. It's not just bread for the physical being. This spiritual act also has somehow connection to, to sustenance for the very soul, the very spiritual being. It's both, not either or. And that's why Yeshua said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You want to eat the bread of mourners? Go for it. No, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. What? It's that word that tells you, hey, you're in the exile. Those loaves that you happy people are waving and, and all that stuff is just craziness because the word says you're in the exile, not where you're supposed to be. Okay, eat bread for your flesh, but you're dying in your soul. No, we're not. We're cruising away, having a great time. Can I get this across? We don't realize that our souls are starving to death because we're just once again feeding the flesh only under new garb. A kippah, prayer, shawl, zitzitz, and phylacteries. And we wave the Torah and we're so good. Ah, can you, uh, Hosea must have been ripping his hair out. These guys had to been just pulling their own beards out. Out of frustration. Am I making any sense? Please help me here. So, unhappy, unclean. Now, it builds on top of that. All right, guys, don't rejoice as others. Why not? You're unclean. What's the problem? The people are unconnected. And I, I want us to see this, verse 4 and 5. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, for the bread for their soul shall not come into the house of the Lord. It can't. So what are you going to do in a solemn day? Take a cruise. What are you going to do in the feast of the Lord? Man, we're just going to be so happy. The implication is, come on, guys. That which you've been crapping on, the, the feasts and the festivals, and you haven't really been wanting to have a part of them, you're going to go out there. Now, what are you going to do when you start longing for the feasts and the festivals and the tabernacle and the priests? And you can't do it now. That's what verse 5 is. What are you going to do then in a solemn day and in the day of the festivals of the Lord? The bread for your soul is not coming to the house of the Lord. It's just connecting. That's why I have to read this stuff over and over and over and over and immerse myself in this stuff because it's so rich with stuff. It's like the Star Trek thing, Torah. It, when Shadrach fought Gilgamel at Shakoff, mm -hmm. you know, and the guy was speaking in metaphors and Picard saying, what in the world is that? This stuff, and I think God purposely does this. If you just read this over casually, it means it says nothing. Until you understand Gilgal, Gibeah, 
Beth Avon, the bread of mortars. What in the world is that talking about? And then, wah, it personally rips me to shreds. Because as much as I'm yelling and screaming and pointing fingers, So the people, God wants them to be unhappy so they'll realize they're unclean to be able to feel how disconnected they are from the land, from the temple, from the sacrifices, from the feast, the festivals, the appointed days. So solemn day, that's the word moed, appointed times, feast of the Lord, refers to the festivals. Albert Barnes, another Christian guy, said, this is such, on such occasions, this is, what he, this is what Hosea is trying to get them to realize. On such occasions, they would feel the misery of their position most keenly away in a foreign land without a temple. And without ritual, they would bewail the loss of their annual celebrations, their national festivals, and I want to, gosh, and their religious solemnities, those holiday times of general joy and spiritual gladness. They are supposed to feel the misery of their position most keenly because they're away in a foreign land with no temple, no ritual bewailing the loss of their annual celebrations, their national festivals and religious solemnities. Anybody in the Messianic movement doing that? Anybody in the Messianic movement doing that? That's what I said about the, 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 the lost Jewish guy that Luke read about last night. It's, it's almost embarrassing that a lost Jewish guy writes something so powerful and punches me in the face. This is a Christian commentator smacking us Messianics in the face by saying, You idiots! He's not doing that because right. back when Elbron wrote, we weren't here, the Messianic. But he is, right? He is. He is. Now, I see, um, uh, what, what I love and hate about reading God's Word and studying is, to whom much is given, much is required. And it puts you in a scary place because all of a sudden you realize a bolt of lightning is going to come down out of heaven any moment and just nail me because I know better now. That's why our messianics don't want to know this crap. This is why, sorry, not crap, good stuff. This is why Christians don't want to, they don't want to go to this. This is why our messianic preachers aren't preaching this. This is why Christian preachers aren't preaching this because, but this is what these guys, every prophet was to the level I am and 10 times more, day in and day out. And it eventually got Yeshua nailed to the cross because he came and blasted it all. All right, so I got to wind down here. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Well, I kind of said it maybe to some degree already, but what are we supposed to do? Well, perhaps not be so happy in exile. Maybe we could just rejoice a little less, maybe. Maybe we could just rejoice a little less. Now, please don't walk away from listening and say, oh, yeah, this guy just wants us to not be happy, not enjoy anything. You know, the Bible says, enjoy life with the wife of your youth. I mean, there's a, we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. But we got all that down. You know, we got all that down. 
We need to balance it. I said when I first started my church, a pastor of my church, to the shock, pretty much everybody was there, I said Yeshua was the most balanced person that ever lived. He's balanced. <laughs> well, I'm asking just for a little balance here. Maybe just a little less rejoicing. Maybe a little less time in front of the TV and in God's Word. Maybe a little less time doing that whatever thing and on our face before God. You know, Luke, we were talking about it. It's like, you know, we can preach all this great stuff, but unless our own preaching beats us to death and our own teaching really takes effect, we're still just as bad as we were before and everybody else, and how dare say anything? As I said, maybe we should forget the cruises on festivals. So what should we do? Perhaps be not so happy in the exile. Rejoice a little less, maybe. <laughs> and, and this is so me, but perhaps we should hang up our harps because we're in a strange land. And stop trying to play the Lord's song in a strange land. I'm just saying, until that happens, we're just prolonging our time in the exile. And I don't want to be here anymore. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of myself in the exile. I'm sick of the exile. I'm sick of God's people in the exile. I'm just sick of the whole thing. And that's why Hosea said, hey, the trumpet's coming to the mouth, guys. Last warning. <laughs> Turn or burn. Turn or be taken away. Assyria's coming. You're going to lose it all. The trumpet warning is sounding. I've sent you Hosea. So that's it. Unsettled. You know, have you ever had a loud noise just startle you to no end? The trumpet sound. Set the trumpet to the mouth. Boom! The trumpet! That would shake people, unsettle them. Whoa, who? The trumpet! We have to get ready. What's happening? When I was a kid, they still at noon, on the telephone poles, they had the sirens that would go off at noon. They would check them because we were still under the threat of nuclear destruction where you, the stupid, if you've ever seen the stupid commercials, if you happen to be in school and there's an atomic explosion, duck and hide under your desk or run to the nearest wall and fall and cover yourself. Stupid, stupid, stupid. But every time that alarm would go off, it would remind you of impending, perhaps, doom. The trumpet. Hosea's blowing a trumpet. The unsettledness. I don't, I don't know, but can you hear the trumpet warming up? I kind of can. I think the trumpet's been warming up since Israel was back in the land. And whether these guys will admit it or not, who speak out of one side of their mouth saying, yeah, Jesus is coming anytime, we're going to be out of here. You know, could have been out of here for the days of Paul. We could have been out of here 200 years ago. But praise God, he's soon coming because look at all the prophecies that are being fulfilled. Israel's now back in the land. He can come. Well, I think the trumpet is kind of getting warmed up a little bit. I hear it in the distance. I don't know if anybody else does. You know, I, I hear it. It's like Melissa texts me this morning, 2.45. It's like, who in the world is texting me at 2.45? I figure, oh, it's probably AT&T saying, your, your, your data is doing good or your data is going over. And I wasn't even going to check it. So she texted me and said, do you hear the coyotes out there? 
Well, I didn't hear it because I was listening to some guy preaching at 2.45. And uh, no, I didn't hear it. But the coyote's off in the distance, right? She heard him off in the distance. Well, I'm like that with the trumpet. I hear it off in the distance. I hear it. So it's time for us to be un unhappy, unsettled, and sense the fact that we are disconnected from everything that we really want. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Um, for me, it's been a I, I just have no problem with all this doom and gloom and hard stuff because so much of it, and because I realize I'm not much different than your people that were before, and I fall into the same traps and pitfalls and my own sin and my own waywardness and, and, and the true things that should have importance, they, they grow strangely dim instead of this world that should grow strangely dim. And, and your word just smacks me upside the head it says, don't you start drifting. No, 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 no. Look at this. This is what happened. You're part of the problem. You're still in the exile, Warren. Come on. Things aren't going to change until you change and others with you. And so I'm grateful for this stuff. I mean, Hosea wrote this probably, what, 710 B.C.? Something like that, I think. This is amazing. And we're reading it now. I mean, we should be just so amazed that we hold this ancient book in our hands that is so old, that is so alive and relevant and present now. It's just mind-boggling. Yet we ignore it. We've got a gazillion Bibles in the house. It's not precious anymore. You know, but we're reading a document that is, I can't even figure out how, how old. Going back to 710, somewhere maybe he wrote this. God, it blows my mind. The lasting impact. And you wrote it for every generation, and you wrote it for now, otherwise it wouldn't be in your word. But yet, how many people are really familiar with Hosea other than the story of Gomer and Hosea? That's just, that's just an introduction to what you're trying to get across, but that's all we know. We don't know of chapter 4 to the end of the book, except for a few verses we cherry pick. Oh, God. Anyway, time to shut up. Lord, just do, if nothing else, continue your work in me. I want to know that in my own life, you and your word are making a difference. I have to know that or just shoot me now. But I need to know that this is not all in vain, that you working in me and working in us and individuals, if we're willing to submit, if, if we will not grow weary in well-doing, if we'll realize that you are a rewarder of them that diligently seek you, then I think we can continue on. Help us, Father, in Yeshua's name, amen.